I am reading this morning from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get onto the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the next morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became afraid and began sinking. He called out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. God bless the reading of his word. So this is a familiar story, Jesus walking on the water. And, you know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to be said. I, as a pastor, I could have chosen a lot of different ways to go. But when I look at this, it really, it, this text really is best understood in the context of understanding who Jesus is and knowing who Jesus is. And uh, so Jesus here, we have this story where Jesus gets rid of the disciples, says, you guys go on about your business, and ascends to the mountaintop. And this is significant. Jesus goes off to the mountains to pray. And this is significant because in Matthew, mountains are significant. In fact, the whole Bible, mountains are significant. When you go to Mount Sinai, that's where God is. That's where the law is revealed. You go up to the mountain. You go up to Mount Tabor to offer sacrifices on the mountain. And in Matthew, anytime Jesus does something significant, he does it on a mountain. Think of uh, Sermon on the Mount, for example, or uh, the Transfiguration uh, is where Jesus meet, uh, meets Moses and Elijah. And here, Jesus goes to pray, and where does he go? He goes up onto the mountain. And uh, they, had, they had just come from, of course we had our, our text last week, but they had just come from uh, going to Jesus' hometown, which didn't work out very well. He was not very welcome there, and that didn't go well. And then they got word that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod Antipas. So everyone was a little nervous about what was going on. Everyone was feeling a little, a little weirded out and, and not sure that they had signed on for such a great gig, this following Jesus around the countryside. And furthermore, they were kind of confused about what was going on. And so Jesus sends him out onto the water and a storm comes up. And then all of a sudden they see Jesus walking out onto the water. Now water also in the Old Testament and in the Bible is often something scary. I guess I hadn't really thought about that until I started looking at this text. 
But water is often something very scary. In fact, at the very beginning, the first Genesis story, the waters are milling around, you know, are stirring up, and and God is hovering over the this primordial water and takes control of it and creation is the result but water is this kind of ominous presence that needs to be uh, subdued by God furthermore uh, Noah is saved from the floods from the water that destroys the entire planet when God chooses to wipe things out God chooses water apparently and uh, the very scary moment in the Bible Think of the parting of the Red Sea, which was great for the Hebrew people, not so great for the Egyptian folks. Right? That didn't work out so well for them. The waters parted, but then the waters came back together. And the crossing of the Jordan into the Promised Land was a blessing, but there stood the water being held back by the hand of God and allowing the people of God to cross. So if you wish to convey the awesomeness of God's power, it is seen in God's sovereignty over the water. And here we hear the disciples facing troubled waters. And as they do, Jesus comes down from the mountain to be with them. But they don't know who He is. They look out there, who is that? It's a ghost. It's an apparition. It's something here to do us harm. And they don't know, they don't recognize Jesus. And here, fundamentally, is the problem. They have witnessed a lot, but they have not come to know who Jesus is yet. The disciples had just come off of a couple of difficult experiences as I pointed out earlier, and yet, and here, they were afraid. In spite of all of those wonderful examples they've seen of miracles, of Jesus' power, of Jesus' compassion, they still were afraid when they saw Jesus walking on the water. It's a ghost. It's something here to do us harm. But Jesus cries out, Take heart! It is I. The word here he uses is, is ego emi, which basically means it is I. But it's the same word in Greek that God would use to describe, to name himself to Moses. Moses said, Who are you, God? I, you send me to Egypt. This is the burning bush thing, right? Remember that? And Jesus, or God is talking through this burning bush to Moses. And Moses is looking for a way to get out of doing what God asked him to do. And so he says, you know what? I don't even know who you are. I don't, when people ask me, what, who sent you? Who am I supposed to say? And what God says is, tell them I am sent you. Tell them ergo ami in Greek, in the, in the Septuagint. Tell them ergo ami sent you. And so here, when Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Jesus is basically saying, relax. God is with you. And everything's going to be okay. Peter decides to act. as Peter, Peter's always the first one to jump in there and do some stuff. If it is you. See, even Peter still is, fra- is afraid, doesn't know who Jesus is. If it is you, Lord. He's still not sure. 
Command me and I will come to where you are. And then he jumps out of the boat. Jesus says, come. And he jumps out of the boat. And then he gets distracted by the waves and he cries out, Lord, save me! And Jesus is faithful. Grabs him by the hand. They both get in the boat. Why did you doubt? Jesus wonders. Why did you doubt, Peter? As if you didn't already know. But here... Here is where it comes together. They worshiped Him and they said, Surely you are the Son of God. Oh, finally, their their eyes are opened and what has been revealed is that Jesus is the Son of God. The Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One, the One who saves, the One who provides. Ah, Surely you are the Son of God. But I have to say, Peter, had he not jumped out of that boat, still would not know who Jesus is. Would not have, if he had not stepped out in faith. If he had not said to himself, I'm scared out of my pants, but I'm going to get out of this boat so that I can settle this once and for all. Is Jesus the Messiah or is not? Jesus is Messiah. Does Jesus want ill for us or does Jesus want to bless us? Should I follow Jesus or shouldn't I follow Jesus? He settled that question the moment he stepped out of the boat and keeping his eyes on Christ, he was uplifted and taken care of. It was only when I, you know, it's interesting that Jesus wonders why he doubted, and and we could debate that work that word, but I won't I won't bore you with that. But it's 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 interesting that the issue here is doubt because I think the issue is more one of just overwhelming fear when you start looking around at all the ways things could go wrong. Right? Peter starts looking around and sees the waves come crashing, sees the wind, sees the boat about 20 feet away, sees Jesus about another 20 feet away, and realizes this was a stupid idea. This was crazy. What the heck am I doing? And starts to lose heart and, and doubts what he has already experienced to be true, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Faith is not the most practical thing. Faith in who Jesus is ultimately comes from stepping out of the boat and stepping out in faith. It's an amazing gift God gives us when we can tap into that faith, when we can face down our fears with faith in who Jesus is. Faith, indeed, is the element that can face down fear. Fear is what I would say most of the time keeps us from having a relevant faith. It's fear. Fear that we will not be left with security. Fear that we will be going down a wrong path. Fear that we may be mocked or or laughed at. Fear that we may lose who we are, right? Sometimes we're scared to give up our our sinfulness. We hang on to that stuff like it's gold sometimes. Oh, no wait a minute. I love my I love this thing that's sucking the life out of me. I, I want to hang on to that. And it's scary to sometimes let go 
of those things we lean on even when they're destructive, even when they're damaging, even when they're taking our life from us. And yet, in Christ, we are called to face down our fear with faith. Faith in who Jesus is in the world and who Jesus is in our life. Faith is not very practical. I said that before. Uh, doing here, here's what's not going to work in a in a faith situation. Doing a pro con list is not going to work very well when being called by God. It's just not very helpful because God is not going to call. There'll be a long list of the cons and a couple of pros, and you're going to talk yourself out of what God is trying to point you towards. So it's not faith is never very practical practical it it does not do to count the cost but to step out as peter did into the raging waters you know uh there was a time in my life when uh i i was the associate pastor of my first church and there was a there was a an ugly ugly fight going on and the church that I was a part of, these, these beautiful, God-loving Christians turned into just mean, spirited, angry, vindictive, you know, not very nice folks. And the church was imploding on itself and the church had ceased, had ceased to listen to the, to the clergy that they had called to bring leadership into the church. And so, after a very ugly meeting, the head pastor and I, uh, well, we, he, he told me he had resolved that if that meeting didn't go well, he was going to resign. And I said, I'm resigning too. And in fact, I, I had written my resignation. And I'd been thinking about it for a while. And he told me that that was a stupid thing to do. He even said, he said, don't do that. That... You know, I'm going to go find another church and I'm almost ready to retire anyway. You're young. You have a family to take care of. You don't have anywhere to live. I was living in the parsonage. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't have a job. It takes clergy an average of 18 months to find work after they leave their, their job. And he was not the only person to tell me that. Our good Dr. Patton told me the same thing. Don't quit until you know what, where you're going and what you're doing. But I, I had written this resignation that talked about the church being the church and how, uh, how we, can, we can live in the tension of disagreeing or we can let those, those things tear us apart. And it was my conviction that it, was a, it, would be, it would make a better statement for me and the pastor both to resign at the same time. And so I, but I was in a quandary about it. And Pastor Richard told me to go pray about it that night. So I came home and uh, Robin and I, I talked to her about it. And I said, I said, Richard tells me I really shouldn't quit, that I should wait until I find something else. Uh, but I really, I'm really torn about it because I think, I think I need to. And she read my letter and she said, well, what is it you're worried about? Is it money? Are you really worried? Is this about money? Are you really concerned about money? Hasn't Jesus always taken care of us? Haven't we always found, it hasn't always been easy, but haven't we always made it 
through those difficulties. Haven't we always dealt with that? And, and she handed me my letter. She said, if you really believe this, where's, where's the question? If you really believe what you're saying here. And you know what? That gave me the courage to go ahead and turn in my resignation the next day along with... So the whole pastoral staff, we resigned over this issue. Three o'clock that afternoon, <laughs> after I had resigned, I got a call from a little church in Seattle, Wedgwood Community Church, uh, from a lady who had been on my ordination council. And she said, uh, I don't know what's going on with you or, or anything, but I know you've been up there uh, youth pastoring for a couple of years, and I'm wondering if maybe you're looking to move up to pastoring a church on your own because we're in the middle of a search and uh, we, we, we're ready to start looking at hiring a pastor. <laughs> and uh, my jaw dropped. I may have even dropped the phone. And I calmly got, got my composure together. I said, oh, I'll take a look at your church. Sure, why not? <laughs> but it was clear to me that God was at work in all of this. And uh, three months later, I was the pastor at Wedgwood Community Church. And... Uh, uh, and I was feeling the, the security and the strength of tested faith that came out of that. The impractical faith step that brought me to a blessing that was eight years at this wonderful church uh, that I was clearly called to be a part of. So faith is not practical and it doesn't count the cost. Faith is bigger than you. Here's the other thing. You know what? When God calls us, when God said, and you know, maybe this is why, maybe this is why I'm, you know, I feel like I'm talking you out of it, really, when I say these things, because maybe this is why there's so much fear about it. But, but when God calls, God calls you to God-sized business. The things God calls us to is not, it's not small little things. It's God-sized things. It's things that can only be accomplished when we rely on God to accomplish them. Amen? God calls us to, to things that are bigger than ourselves. And faith does not depend on your strength. In fact, most often, and I speak of personal experience, most often it's your own perception of your own strength that gets in the way of you letting God do it. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Am I the only one that does that? Really? <laughs> I think we, you know, I, I find myself in that situation a lot where I think I'm strong, but my strength doesn't have anything to do with what God can do within me. Faith does not depend on your strength or ability or past performance. It is, it is something that is big. And beyond what you can do yourself. Uh, we're in the middle of a, of a Sunday school series that Audrey Kenyon is working on. In a, in a book that was written by Danielle Steele. The romance novel lady. Who cranks those things out like, like hundreds at a time. And you all just keep buying them up. And uh, man, she's doing great. But this book she wrote is about her work with homelessness. And during a, I won't get into the whole story, but during a very difficult time in her life, she turned to her faith and she kept hearing back from God, work with the homeless. Work with the homeless. 
work with the homeless. And not just any homeless either. Not, not, these, not these real nice folks who are well put together that we work with at, at Family Promise, which is an important organization that does great things. Don't get me wrong. But I, we're talking about go work with the mentally ill, chronic homeless who have absolutely no way of even beginning to be in the system because they're so far out on the margins. That's who she felt called to work with. And she spent 11 years going out at night ministering to the homeless. 11 years and one, one and a half million dollars of her own money working with the homeless. And people kept telling her, you should write a book about this. You should write a book about this. But she, and, and, and what she discovered in there, there's a lot of things that came out of that, a lot of blessings that came out of that. But I think what was most discovered in there is how futile our, approach, our approaches to dealing with homeless people has been and how ineffective we've been at dealing with that problem. So she's on a crusade now to really change all of that. That's a God-sized calling that requires a God-sized faith. Amen? That's, what I'm, that's the kind of faith I'm talking about today. That's the kind of faith that helps us jump over the rail of the boat and stand up, eyes on Jesus, and walk. Amen? Amen. And here's the other thing. Is that as you're hearing me say this, and you know I'm going to hand out something for you to sign up for after, right? You're all afraid of that. We're going to march down to, to Capitol Hill and do something. Or, you know, I'm going to want you to sign on the dotted line. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I recognize that I need to recognize that, that sometimes it's hard for me when I talk to you to remember that faith is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. This is not something that happens overnight. You know, Peter, even after this experience, after jumping out of that boat, after walking on the water, after calling out and being saved by Christ Himself, he still found the audacity and the capacity to doubt. Oh, Lord, you know, the, surely, the, surely you will never die. Surely this can't be true. Oh, you're not going to do that. That's, uh, no, I won't let you. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're in my way. Peter was a mess. And his faith was blossoming over time. And this is true probably of all the disciples. And it's true of myself. And it's true of all of you. That there will be times of great and tremendous faith and there will be times of deep and abiding doubt. And through it all, we are learning. We are growing. We are becoming that which God called us to be. It's not, about, it's not about singing just as I am, coming forward just as you are, and leaving just as you were. It's about the lifelong pursuit of faith and trying to master what it means to step out in God's vision, not on our own. And it takes a lifetime. But I can tell you this. Here's the reality of it is that the, the more times you step out there and rely on God, the easier it becomes. In fact, I'm, I'm amazed at my own capacity. I've been blessed so many times. I've been blessed so much by Jesus. I, it amazes me that I even have the, the ability to doubt and to, to, to worry 
and think that God is not going to come through because God has done it so many times, and yet I still do. I, do, I worry about all the same stuff you do. I struggle with all the same things you do. But it's only when I can get out of myself and come to a point of saying, this is about Jesus, it's not about me. This is about faith. This is about believing beyond what I can see right now. This is about allowing Jesus to be Jesus and me to be Jesus' follower. Peter got to know Christ, got to know Jesus. And how Peter got to know Jesus was by stepping out of the boat. Think outside the boat, I say. And to step out there. And then you will really know who Jesus is in your life. If you're not sure what Jesus, what role Jesus plays, if you are wondering if Jesus has any relevance, if you're not quite convinced that God is at work all around us, and accomplishing good and positive and life-affirming, kingdom-building things, if you don't know if you are gifted by God and a beloved child of God, get to know Jesus. And you get to know Jesus by stepping out in faith. Taking those chances. Doing things that frighten you when you know you're being led by Christ. When you're being led by the Spirit. And called out into faith. Deep, relevant, abiding faith. Let us pray. Loving God, the God of the wind and the rain and the sea, the God who comes down off the mountain to save us, the God who pulls us out of our doubt. Give us faith. Give us deep, nurtured, abiding, tested faith that we might be used of You to transform this world to be a source of light and hope. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.